0: Thank you. You're listening to Energy 360 from the Energy and National Security Program at CSIS. I'm your host, Sarah Ladislaw, Senior Vice President and Director of the Program. This week's podcast is part of an ongoing project we have called Energy in America, a series through which we're looking at some of the key issues in the energy sector from states throughout the United States. This past month, we hosted a workshop to discuss Pennsylvania's enormous energy opportunities in conjunction with the Smeal Business School at Penn State University. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Gladys Brown, Chairman of the Pennsylvania Public Utility Commission, to continue our conversation about energy issues in Pennsylvania. Welcome, Chairman Brown. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. First, why don't we start with the commission? You've been on the commission since 2013, chairman since 2015. What role does the commission play in Pennsylvania's electric power sector?
1: Well, first of all, Pennsylvania, as most states, we regulate the electric distribution companies. And we are one of those re-regulated states where we do not regulate the generation size of the company. That was done back in 1996 through legislation, where Pennsylvania was one of those states where the cost of electricity was about 15% higher than the national average. So to Put ourselves into one of those retail competitive market situations, the General Assembly decided that we would restructure the way we work here in Pennsylvania and would make generation part of the competitive market.
0: And what are some of the main issues that the commission is dealing with right now when it comes to energy in Pennsylvania?
1: Uh, the ironic thing, and I say ironic because I just gave you the explanation that we do not regulate generation, but the ironic thing is we are still discussing the competitive market, but more so on the whole <laughs> side, uh, dealing with all the issues in terms of the capacity market and trying to understand some of the conversations that are taking place around the country, as well as the mid-Atlantic states, including Pennsylvania, as to whether or not there would be some type of charge on a bill, some type of support for those generation plants that may not be as competitive, and that would be the coal plants or the nuclear power plants. So we are part of that discussion. When I say we are part of it, our state is part of it. It's more so being discussed in our General Assembly as to what they would want to create for a policy here in Pennsylvania. There has not been any movement on that, but the discussion continues to take place. Uh, in terms of also energy issues, we're also dealing with the normal things that other states are dealing with and that would be issues of reliability and resiliency as we again enter into another hurricane season. We're always trying to make sure that our electric distribution companies are making sure that they harden their systems and, and make sure that there is electricity and service to their customers. We've been dealing with a lot of things earlier in the year, dealing with wind storms that we did not necessarily anticipate because those wind storms were followed by heavy rains and things of that nature, which caused a lot of trees to come down and damage wires and things of that nature. So we continue to deal with those issues of resiliency and reliability in terms of our energy market.
0: So let's talk about that for a second, because I do think, uh, as you've characterized, resiliency and reliability are once again becoming part of the sort of national level dialogue, both on the distribution and sort of grid side of the equation and on the fuel security side of the equation. But what you, you were talking about is really, you know, trying to provide resilience to the electric power distribution system. Can you talk a little bit about the things that the commission is doing and how you work with constituents to do that?
1: Well, what the commission has been doing, even before I came on the commission, because of the result of so many storms that we've had in this area, you know, Superstorm Sandy is one that comes to mind, and that was before I even came on the commission. And so legislation was passed, maybe not as a result of those storms, but building up to the fact that the systems are getting old and and dealing with aging infrastructure. So there was a distribution system improvement charge that was put in place. Actually, it started way back in 1996 for our water company. In their aging infrastructure, but back in 2012, it 2011, excuse me, it started with providing for the same type of charge that would be added to a bill for the electric and natural gas companies to be able to accelerate the replacement of this aging infrastructure to make it more reliable and um, safe for consumers. And with that, our electric distribution companies are required to have what we call the L-tip, but those are long-term infrastructure improvement plans. We like to use acronyms around here, around the country as well. (laughs) That's our LTIPS. It's a way of showing the company, showing to us that they are strengthening their systems, uh, making sure that their infrastructure is in place, that making sure that there will not be any outages, or if there are some outages, there are are short-term outages to make sure that there is service provided to their consumers. And those LTIPS are really a look five-year forward in terms of what they are planning to do uh, with their infrastructure. We have that in place for the larger ones, but our smaller ones also make sure that they have plans in place as well. We also, in terms of technology, one thing that the General Assembly did back in 2008, I believe, and I, I'm hesitating because I used to be legal counsel, <laughs> in the General Assembly, so I'm I'm trying to remember all those things that I worked on, but it was was in 2008 where they put in place Act 129, which would require the deployment of smart meters and required a 15-year deployment of them to have those in place by 2021. With that, we have found so many different benefits of these smart meters that help out with reliability and resiliency where we're able, those companies that have fully deployed, and they're mostly in more urban areas of our state, but we do see that there's uh, more of an acceleration of of the deployment of these smart meters, but they're able to help us out, especially during uh, storms and different types of events of that nature where they're able to pinpoint the outages quicker and able to go around it so that they can have people up and running quicker. So we're looking at that. Uh, as well as different other type of smart grid technology and improvement of that nature. So we're very happy with these different technology that we see coming out that we didn't expect when those type of policies were put in place. We're also trying to deal with the discussion, I believe, that other states are having as well, in terms of microgrids, which also are very helpful in terms of storm management and resiliency during those type of storms. That would also include things like combined heat and power. We put a policy in place in Pennsylvania looking for comments from our different companies as what well, in terms of using combined heat and power and what it would do for their reliability in their system. So we've had a lot of different comments, and and our policy is really to encourage to use the CHP, and um, we're seeing more and more of that at Pennsylvania.
0: That's great. And you've also talked recently about other technologies is to try and integrate into the system, like EV deployment and charging infrastructure. Can you talk a little bit about what you, what you guys are doing in conjunction with the Assembly on that?
1: Uh, the General Assembly, I guess, is definitely working on legislation in terms of electric vehicles. You know, that, that is a policy that is being discussed as to how to implement it. The legislation has not passed. Just to let you know that um, we've been discussing that not only with the General Assembly, but also have been working with our Department of Environmental Protection to discuss electric vehicles and and what actually would need to be put in place in terms of the infrastructure that we would need here in Pennsylvania. We are one of those diverse states in terms of geography, and we have our... uh, We have our urban areas that are on each end of the state and more rural areas, but we have a growing suburban area in different pockets of the middle part of the state. So you see more and more of an interest in electric vehicles and what to do in terms of the infrastructure and and whether or not there will be a tariff on third parties, things of that nature. So that's all part of the discussion in terms of putting some type of policy in place that works for Pennsylvania.
0: And so you mentioned some of the new technologies, but technologies like smart grids or microgrids and those sorts of things and how they help with the resilience and reliability discussion. You know, how do you guys tackle issues like cybersecurity, which are both, you know, can both be enhanced by additional reliability that come from those sort of distributed energy resources and systems. Um, But also, you know, with each node that you add to the system can increase vulnerability as well. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what you guys are doing on cybersecurity?
1: We're doing a lot on cybersecurity. And and truly, it is part of a a big discussion that's taking place um, not only here in Pennsylvania, but also on the national and international level with that um, we, in Pennsylvania, had started out taking those, those baby steps. I'll call it baby steps because you're always trying to figure out exactly what your role and purpose is, and we know that what our current policy here is in Pennsylvania is that all of our companies are required to document that they have some type of cybersecurity plan in place, and it's really they're self-certifying that they have this requirement in place annually. So with that, they are required to look at emergency response plans, business continuity plans, and their physical security plans as well as cybersecurity plans. We have been through the process. We, we I won't say we're finished with it. We, we've been going through the process over the past several years in terms of educating ourselves internally at the commission to give, have a better understanding of cybersecurity which would help us to figure out whether or not we actually do need to change our current regulations and policies that are in place. And in doing so, we have also worked with different state agencies as well as federal agencies. We've worked with FERC and had them come in and to look at what we do internally here at the commission. With that, they made some recommendations and we've discussed that as to how we can better equip ourselves internally because we are then going out to Audit those plans that our companies would have in place and if we don't have the background and knowledge to know what we're looking for then we wouldn't really be able to regulate them in the manner that we're supposed to so with that we have made the decision that we're hiring a cybersecurity expert in house here in Pennsylvania, actually going currently going through the process of interviewing a person, which is there's some other states that have done so. So we're encouraged about that. There's you'll see more and more of that movement maybe in other states as well. With that that I think that will help us out, help our staff out and our audit team that when they're going out to these companies that they know what they're looking for. And I say all that to say in terms of putting some type of plan or or policy in place, it's helpful to be able to know what we're looking for. But with that, you're you're right when you were saying more and more things in terms of technology and smart technology, things of that nature, more and more that's added to the grid could also add to the vulnerability of it, which is true. And that's something that we need to understand and figure out how we can put those protections in place and and have those discussions with our utilities. But I can say here in Pennsylvania in the conversations that we have had with our utilities of what they have been put in place, we have been very encouraged about those things and do not see any problems per se, but we as anyone else would say we, we know that technology moves quickly. People that are looking to have some type of cyber attack are constantly moving and changing. So we're looking to continue to do that as well.
0: You know, but the, go ahead, sorry. Go
1: ahead. the partnerships that we have put in place We have been working with our state agencies, specifically our Emergency Management Agency, which is because it's the state of Pennsylvania. They are called PEMA, and also our Governor's Office of Homeland Security. So the three of us actually have formed this partnership where we're working. We call it our Black Sky Steering Committee, where we have called out not only our state agencies, such as them, but other state agencies, which would include our National Guard and things of that nature, to work together with our utilities. So when we have our Black Sky Committee meetings, it's our utilities as well as these state agencies that will be dealing with some type of emergency, the plan is to put some best practices in place, and that will be part of our, our um, annex, that would be part for our, our state to know exactly what we're doing, what plans we're putting in place. What we have seen in that conversation, a big part of it, is not only the best practice, but the best practices have to include communication, communication between all of our partners, communication between our local and state officials, our local emergency management um, agencies, and things of that nature, and just educating ourselves. It's just really interesting to be in some of these meetings and see how people were not thinking of one thing versus another thing, so we're excited about that partnership.
0: That's great. No, absolutely. You know, Chairman Brown, one of the things that was impressed upon us the time we spent in Pennsylvania is just how much excitement there is in the state about what's going on in the energy sector, not just because of the resources that exist in the state, but also because of all these challenges that you're talking about, about incorporating new energy technologies and really trying to figure out a way to, you know, have Pennsylvania succeed in all of the things that it's trying to do, both in terms of attracting new investment and having energy innovation and thinking about, you know, how to develop societies that have resilient and affordable energy supplies and those sorts of things. But one of the things that, you know, really came out was the need to constantly be thinking about workforce development and having the talent and the people you know, to, to take on some of these big jobs. You guys have a, a, a workforce development program uh, that I thought was interesting. Maybe you could talk a little bit about your utility career program and how you attract people to the, the business that you're in
1: we are excited about that program i I will refer to that as my little baby and i don't think i was the first there that probably did this but you know i'll claim it for now but we are looking at the fact we can't ignore the fact that not only internally at the commission but also all of our companies are will be looking will be looking to lose or not looking to lose but they will be losing what we call the baby boomers, those that have had that 35- and 40-year career in a company and and have a lot of knowledge and information about how their system works. And with that, uh, we have seen some of our companies talk about within the next 5 to 10 years, they could lose 50% of those individuals. And with that, the knowledge goes out the door with them. But we also need to be pulling in younger people that are excited about this new technology that you see coming and that we're using to help us be a more efficient and help our utilities to be more efficient. So with that, we have been going around not only to our colleges and universities, but also to trade schools and um, community colleges to talk about looking or encouraging people to look at careers in the utility sector and just educating them about the different types of jobs that are there. Most individuals don't necessarily think about it. They just think that you know their, their lights work and that's all there is to it. Uh, they think about maybe just someone attaching the, the wires and things of that nature, but there's a lot more to it. So we have joined forces with our utilities who have been also doing a great job with it, but we thought collectively we could we can get the word out even better. Uh, we're also looking to go into our high schools and talk about this and, and just encourage people to take the time to look about, look at um, what type of careers they might be interested in. we always say that utilities they're 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 hidden right there in plain sight, and they need to think about the different type of jobs that are there. Whenever I give my comments, it's interesting, and I say the average salary for some of these utility workers is about $90,000, and that could be for someone that's coming straight out, maybe a a trade school that's only a a one- or two-year program, and you think of and as an attorney, I can say, well, I definitely did not come out of law school making (laughs) $90,000.
0: That is certainly an attractive uh, proposition. So, uh, Chairman Brown, one more question and then uh, we'll, we'll let you go. I mean, one of the things that you started out with was sort of the role of the commission in thinking about the distribution side of the electric power system, getting sort of pulled into these bigger discussions about Um, fuel security and a whole bunch of other issues and and really just sort of the dynamism of the energy conversation that we're having in so many different places around the country. One of the things that I'm always impressed about with, you know, public utility commissions in particular is that they really sit on, at least my perspective is, they really sit on the front line of the relationship between the electric power system and the utilities and the entities that it takes to make that run and the perspective of the consumer. Can you just talk a little bit about how in your role you've got to think, about balancing both sort of the interests of the consumer and the interests of the the sort of parties that that make the sort of energy system, electric power system run?
1: I mean, that's our mission. Uh, And I, I know that's the mission of all commissions that you would think of. It is truly a balance because we. it may be exciting to see some of this new technology coming out, but we also have to balance that with the fact that Someone has to pay for it. Let's just be very upfront with that. And it it is usually the consumer that's paying for it. And we have to make sure that, you know, whatever uh, a company is putting in place, it follows that used and useful standard, that when it's used and useful, they also have to make sure that we are – we have to make sure we are balancing that with what the consumers need, what the consumers pay for, will it really be needed at that time. And and that's also the, you know, just the intersection that we're dealing with as regulators, what what needs are for the industry, what the needs are for government, what the needs are for consumers, as well as the marketplace. When we talk about all of that, we we are walking that fine line as regulators.
0: Well, Chairman Brown, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Again, I'm Sarah Ladislaw with the CSIS Energy and National Security Program, and thanks for listening to Energy 360.